Welcome to the For Love and Money podcast, the show where business and social purpose meet to inspire a movement for positive change. Here's your host, Carolyn Butler-Madden. My guest on this episode of For Love and Money is a man who describes himself as a four-time loser before he realised he was in the wrong game. He is Dave Dahl, creator of Dave's Killer Bread. And if you haven't heard of Dave's Killer Bread, I can't wait to share the story behind it. If you have, then you know you'll want to listen to this episode. Dave's story is the story of Dave's Killer Bread. It's a story of transformation and inspiration. Dave's Killer Bread has a purpose behind every loaf. It's not as well known as some other purpose-led brands like Patagonia or Zambrero. And yet every time I share a bit of this story, People connect with it and they want to learn more. Its power, I believe, is that it is a very human story, quite the antithesis of what we have come to expect of business. But before we kick off, um, I'm asking a question of every guest on this podcast, and that is, do you believe there's a role for love in business? Love is such a hard to define uh, thing. I mean, there's so so many different definitions of love, right? Uh, wow, for me, love is is very complicated. So I I'm not sure how to answer that. Okay, all right. Let's. That's a really honest answer, and I, maybe we come back to it towards the, yes um, of course yes during, of course. during the podcast and and you're absolutely right yes. but do you know what you're absolutely right because um i think it makes a lot of people uncomfortable the idea of love in business because love is so personal it's so intimate and yet how often do we say oh my god i love that i love yeah. what that that i love that brand i love that business yeah. i love what that person's doing i love my job um and, and I get that, what you're saying. Yeah, I do understand f- from that angle what it is. But I, I get when I hear the word love, I just get a little bit uh, like, wow, what is that? It means a lot of different things to me. Yeah. So that's my, my issue is that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell us your story. Can you go back, obviously, you know, to your childhood um, and and the very seeds of of your story. Can you take us through your early days, Dave? Well, I wish I could say that I was a you know a tough guy when I was a kid, but I wasn't. And uh, I was kind of a knucklehead uh, when I figured out that uh, my Seventh Day Adventist upbringing wasn't working out for me. Seventh Day Adventist is a, a you know I don't want to say cultish, but sort of you know cultish. Uh, uh, mentality and it wasn't working and I decided that I needed to find some solution to that and basically I mean I mean it, I was very low self-esteem um, didn't like myself much uh, didn't believe in anything you know so I had to go out and figure it out and um that was my teenage years, right? And that meant a lot of alcohol, a lot of, you know, other drugs. But it wasn't until I was like 21 or so 
that I started, uh, that I, I, I put a needle full of methamphetamine in my arm. And that was kind of like the first drug that realized, that it helped me realize that I could actually transform my life. And I'm not saying it's a way to transform your life, but mm. it really did transform my life into a bad thing. Yeah, okay. And so your your family background, bakery, family bakery in Portland, Oregon, is that right? Yes, yep. So that needle in your arm, uh, where, did, where did that lead you? I, I believe you, you ended up in the prison system not uh, more than once. I went to prison four times, uh, all because I was trying to uh, be a really good drug addict. And uh, I went, you know, I mean, I just loved methamphetamine. Mm. So it was like the only thing that made me feel good. So I kept doing the meth and uh, went to prison for burglary, armed robbery, uh, other robberies and uh, drug dealing, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I did 15 years. Yeah, wow. And what was it? I, I was reading something or listening to another podcast interview and um, you, you said something that really struck me that, you were curious, like you you were always questioning why things were the way they were. Is, is it that curiosity and that sort of challenging aspect of you that, that sort of led you to reject um, your family's business? I was curious. I was like, well, in those early days, I, I just started reading the Bible and stuff, and I was like, this... This whole thing doesn't make sense to me at all. You know, it's one of those things. I, I imagine with politics, everything that you, you look at in life, uh, when you find out that it's not what you believe, then you are in a situation, you know, where you have to do something. And that's what I did. Mm. And, and that, that was at about the age of like, 12 or 13 and that must have been very isolating when you feel when you feel that you are not on the same wavelength as your family and close friends of the family that's a perfect way of putting it yes yeah i was very isolated and uh i don't know i i didn't i never felt good about it in those days it was like uh, i don't have i don't belong anywhere Mm. So you turned to alcohol. The next step was drugs and hard drugs. Alcohol, alcohol never really had that. that you know, I did. I got, I would get drunk and stuff, and I would do stupid things. But yeah, it wasn't until I was like twenty-one years old that I found the meth. Yeah. Okay. So um, four times in prison. Over what period was that, Dave? That was a period from like the mid '80s to 2005. Wow. Okay. So lots of in and out over that time. <laughs> I was in there a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and and how how was that prison experience for you? I mean, you felt isolated out there before you hit the prison system. Was it just as isolating within it? I was always isolated. I always felt isolated. Uh you know, I just never, I, 
That's such a great question. What are you, a shrink? <laughs> no, I'm not even close. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, it's a great question. Uh, I have uh, always felt isolated, but um, it wasn't really until I got out this last time. And, you know, in 2000, I don't know, it wasn't until I had a purpose in life that things made a difference. You know, I, the purpose I had in prison in 2001, uh, when I went to school for drafting, that was like the beginning of me realizing that I belonged in 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 the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, so wow. it was it was drafting, it was it was medication, the medication first, but you know, in order for me to get the medication, I had to wave the white flag and ask for some help. So, you know, it's 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 absolutely bizarre that this happened because I was suicidal before that. Mm. And so you was you were struggling with depression, but you didn't know it. Well, yeah, maybe I thought I knew I had depression, but to me, uh, why wouldn't you be depressed when your life sucks? So mm. in the other, the 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 inverse is is better. Is like, why would you? Uh, you know, you, you need to be appreciative of uh, your life and you don't have depression. But if you if you're capable of, of seeing that your mind can be messed up and then you're depressed rather than being depressed and your life resulting from that. So so, you know, you said th things didn't change until you found a purpose, your purpose. In prison. So, what I'm curious to understand is, did, were you on medication? So, and and this was a program within prison that allowed you to do drafting. Yes, it was. A, it was a rare program. I don't even think it exists anymore. Uh, I waited for three plus years to get into this program, and yet, if I had gotten into it any earlier, I probably wouldn't have been ready for it. You know what I mean? So uh, it's an interesting, it's, there's a lot of dynamics to it that I, I would love to talk about if you want to ask me. Yeah, no, I'd love you to share it. And and I'd, I'm trying, I'd love to understand as well, were you on medication before you started the program? Yes, just before. I uh, got into medication, uh, which, see, I don't know how much the medication had to do with it, how much of it just was reaching out and how much of it was going to school. I mean, all those things worked out for me. Yeah, okay, which is good news for you and good news for, for many other people as well. Um, so so you did drafting, I, I believe, within that you also learned about design thinking. Well, as a drafter, you, you really have to learn design. You know, I mean, otherwise you're going to suck as a drafter, right? But designing is, it's like everything in life, everything you do in life, you're designing your life, right? Um, you, you can design anything. You, when you look around at every object around you, you can say, well, I'm going to design that. I'm going to make it a little bit better. So the first thing you're going to have to do is figure out how to make it the way it is. 
Okay, the first thing I would have to do is go, okay, how am I going to make this chair first? And there's several things I got to figure out to make that happen. But uh, then I'm, how am I going to make it better? And, and that's really what design is all about. It, you have to reverse engineer. That sounds crazy. It sounds a little like a lot, but it's not. You have to figure out why it is this chair exists. Why do people care about this chair? And what uh, is it about this chair that's great? And what is wrong with this chair? And so uh, that's, what I, that's what I learned. And drawing and in computer aided drafting, I got an opportunity to create all this stuff in 3D space, which wow. blew me away. Blew me yep. away. And I was able to modify it like I could modify it 10 ways in an hour. You know what I mean? That's how cool it was. And how did that change things for you? I think it gave me perspective that. Uh, that most people don't have. I think I was I was very fortunate in that regard. And a lot of people would just go, oh, this is just a computer program. Or, you know, I'm going to push some buttons and all this kind of stuff. But for me, it was, it was super exciting because, uh, well, I guess maybe partly because I'm sort of an artist anyway, but, uh, you know, I've always been a creative person, but I think everybody, everybody could get the same, get something strong out of it. It's just, I'm not sure that everybody could get, get what I got, but they could, everybody's got the same potential to, uh, to make the most of a situation. So, you know, that's, uh, when I did it, it was like, I would draw, draw a table and next thing you know I'm drawing a table that's a little bit better than the table that I drew yeah brilliant brilliant so so that opened doors in your mind about how you felt about life about yourself about the future yes and designing I think if there's anything that I would like to give people it's the uh the ability to understand if I could bottle and sell it or even give it away, I would just want to give people the knowledge that they can draft their life, design their life. They're going to fall and get up. And it's, it's just part of the process. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And you know, that, that's, that's a very, um, it's a very wise um, gift, I think, because it's also, you know, given given your life's journey, we all seem to think that life is supposed to be perfect and seamless, and yet um, it's often in the the down times that you learn about yourself, you know, the ebbs and flows. I'm not saying it was, you know, I'm not suggesting it would have been fun to go through but the experience that you've had through your life has allowed you to see things in a certain way and to yes. change things to change things and at the end of the day isn't that what being here is about 
creating some kind of change, making something better? Well, I think so. Um, but, you know, in my first 38 years, I didn't understand that. So I didn't understand that um, life was about that. I was, there was one of the things I like to tell people when I get in the mood is, uh, you know, giving back, for instance. You talk about giving back in, in a sense of you, you give back because you want to help people or help the world or whatever, right? If you don't have anything to give back, <laughs> you can't give back. Yeah. I never even, I never thought about giving back until I had something to give back. You get what I'm saying? And uh, yeah. that's, that's essentially what it is. It's like, but once I did have something to give back, I'm like, well, that's really what I'm doing right now. You know, when I'm talking to you, I'm not doing this for money or anything like that. I I just feel like if somebody wants to hear what I the knowledge that I have or the wisdom that I have, then you know, I want to get it. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So let's let's fast forward to you come out of prison, um, and your is it your brother opens the door to the family business? Yes, my brother so- is like eight, eight years older than me. Yeah. Okay. All right. So can you tell us about that that next period for you? Well, I got out of prison, uh, but before I got out, um, I had already done this, you know, a lot of searching, a lot of discovery with the drafting and everything, the medication and all that. So uh, I, I, I was having conversations with my brother and um, he was running the company that my dad had started back in 1955. It's not, a, it's, it wasn't like this big old, you know, money-making conglomerate or whatever. I don't, family business, right? It was a little family business and my brother was making it work. And he was yeah. working his ass off to make it work, right? I, I just told him that, hey, look, you know, I feel like I can come back and help the business. And... That I can I can have my part in business, right? And so that was really what the agreement that we came to. So I got out, put me to work for twelve bucks an hour. Almost immediately, I was making twelve bucks an hour, which is, which a lot of people would say that's crazy. How do you survive on that? But I, I had my mom, too. Mm-hmm. At that time, she's not around anymore. But she had a, she had a uh, a garage. She had a small house and she had a garage and I was able to stay in her garage. I think it's important to point that out that you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But I was very, I was very happy uh, living in her garage. I didn't have a car immediately, but I was able to work myself into a car. But at 12 bucks an hour, I was working for that and I was you know, getting paid for 40. I, I asked my brother, Pay me 15. Eventually, I said, pay me 15 an hour. I'll work for 40. I'll work. I'll get paid for 40 and I'll work 80. Yep. <laughs> Something, like yep. Something like that. Yeah. You know? Because you know, I did have an opportunity. Family negotiations, know. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I uh, I had a good time. I, uh, but I, w- I went to work and I, when I was done with my regular shift, I would go and start get out the scales and, and the uh, 
you know, whatever, all the different equipment I needed, the little mixer, little mixer and everything. And I would just keep experimenting. And that's essentially what I did with uh, Dave's Killer Bread. And um, I had, it's, I, like I said earlier, it's reverse engineering. And my brother told me at some point, he goes, well, stop messing with cookies. Because he, he wanted me to do cookies. And I was like, and I did the cookies, but then it was, that was quick work. And then he said, well, we need bread. That's what we do. We make bread. Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh, shit. Bread? <laughs> <laughs> bread? All right. Yeah, it's a whole different game, right? A whole different game. And so I started uh, reverse engineering. That that word is sounds way more crazy than it really is. But learning how to make other people's products. Yeah. And and then, um, you know, figuring out what it is about those products that were great and, and then going, well, what would make them better? And that's essentially just the same thing I've been doing in drafting. And it yep. worked out. It worked out. So tell us about the first bread, um, Portland uh, Farmer's Market. Was it that you launched it? Yeah, it was... Uh, Again, it's another great opportunity that I had in my life. I've had a, I've had a couple. That was one because what they had is uh, the Portland Farmers Market. It's a pretty big deal, right? In our area, you know, it's uh, like 100, 150 vendors, that kind of thing, and it's very hard to get into it. Yeah, you know, I can I can't just like make some bread and go down there and, hey, I want to get into this market. So what it was is I had been working on some products. I had four, I had six varieties ready to go, but I decided to go with four. That that particular, uh, but they had this summer loaf, they called it, um, where it's so bizarre, really. I mean, so unusual. They had Artisan Bread Festival. And everybody, everybody there was a bread maker. So, so bizarre. But, it, you know, at that time, I think there was a lot of people that were into artisan, making artisan bread. Mine was nothing like theirs. <laughs> I brought my bread in. It was like the only sandwich bread that, I brought, that we brought in. And we just killed it. You know, everybody was just like, oh, my God. And it's... Uh, that summer loaf was not around the next year. It's bizarre how it, it was available at that time when we needed it. So, so what was it about the bread that people loved? Well, uh, there's several things. It's really hard to actually define that, but I can tell you what made it, what I was aiming for was texture, uh, a lot of texture. You know, you find it in European breads, dense European breads and stuff like that, where it's a real good texture. Uh, a lot of lot of uh, density, a lot of uh, chew. Um, and But what I did is I took, and I, I guess I'd always wanted to do this since I was a kid, is um, make bread more like like a bowl of really good cereal. Yeah, you right. Know, like you, yeah, yeah. If you have, if you like grainy cereal like I do, 
grainy, grainy, grainy. Like, uh, say, not cream of wheat, but cracked wheat cereal. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then oats, oatmeal that's not overcooked. Uh, you know, when you get a lot of chew and stuff like that. So that was essentially what I was working with. That was the mentality. Um, and then it took so much experimentation to, to make that into an actual loaf of bread because that's it kind of goes against what people think of as when they're making bread, they're like, they're not like, how much, how much dead weight can I add to a loaf of bread? You know, but that was yeah. what I was thinking. How much yeah. dead weight can I add to a loaf of bread? Wow. So, so the bread was a big success at, at the farmer's market, Portland farmer's market. And this bread is what you call the summer loaf? Well, the, uh, the festival. Oh, right. Or whatever. The, the, the event was called the summer loaf. Okay. Okay. And we were so fortunate to have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Because that didn't happen again. No. The following it year. Was, yeah, it was off the hook. It's crazy. Amazing. Maybe the universe dropped that one down there for That's you. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> and so what what happened then? So right now you're opera, operating under the family bakery name? Are you talking about back then? Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Well, it was Dave's Killer Bread and, and you know. Oh, it was called daughter. Dave's Killer Bread then? It was. My my brother called it, wanted to call it Dave's Bread. And, yeah. and I was like, well, okay. But then, which, you know, was interesting to me because I'm a narcissist. So it was all good. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he was like, uh, Dave's Bread. And I'm like, okay, no, Dave's Bread, but that's really, okay. So how people are going to want to know who the f Dave is, right? Yeah. And I... Uh, so then I knew I had to write my story on the back of the bag. And, and somehow this stuff is just, it's like, it's religious. It's so it's amazing how that it comes to you when it comes to you. But mm. I, I wrote my story on the back of the bag. It's not there anymore. The original story is not, is not there anymore. Okay. Um, I think the original story was much better than the one they have now, but that's just my opinion. So anyway. Can you tell uh, us the original story? Because you well, would have encapsulated it in a paragraph, right? Uh, yeah, it was like three or four paragraphs. But uh, essentially it was like I was uh, a four-time loser before I realized I was in the wrong game. Okay, that's how it started out. Okay, mm -hmm. And then I talked about, you know, I've been knucklehead most of my life. Didn't use that word, but I'm paraphrasing. And then I go two or three paragraphs of talking about the changes that I made while I was in prison and so on and so forth, so on and so forth. And then I just talk about, I'm just, I'm just uh, honest ex-con trying to make the world a better place one loaf of bread at a time. You know, I'm just, you know, but the story, it took me a long time to write the story. So for me to try to encapsulate it right here, <laughs> <laughs> but at the moment, I mean, uh, it took me a long time. I remember I'd be driving down the road, going, looking over here, looking over there. All of a sudden, something would hit me. And that story worked very well. But it's not just a story. It's uh, the story led to the bread, and, and the bread made the story. So, 
Well, the two are intertwined, aren't they? I mean, you, you can't Absolutely. separate one from the other. I think you're right. I exactly right. Uh, people are like, oh, was it the bread? No. Yes. <laughs> was it the story? No. Yes. You know what I mean? They all work together. Absolutely. And I know in my work, um, I have this conversation a lot with clients is that when you have a brand that has or a business that has a social purpose, um, you can't expect that to be the sole driver of success of the business. That's right. That would be a terrible idea. I think that would be a terrible idea. That's more, that's charity, right? It, Whereas, it matters. It matters. Yes. But it, yeah. Yeah. And the business has to stand on its own two feet on whatever its proposition is. If it's quality, it's got to stand on quality. You know, the, the quality is very, I think you have to have, I think it's essential, you know, at least from my, my experience, you know, it's got to be, it, the product itself has to be good. Absolutely. Uh, really, maybe better than good it's got to be exceptional on yeah. some level but if you if you have some sort of like in my case everything was came from the heart and and um i just did it because i i felt it you know what i mean so i'm not sure everybody's got that that luxury but then again they didn't go what i went through <laughs> Yeah. Get there. Yeah, ab- yeah. Absolutely. And and so Dave, that that um Dave's Killer Bread for for people for listeners in Australia um who don't know Dave's Killer Bread, it is the um is it the best-selling organic bread in the USA? Yes. Yeah, and it's also can... sold in other countries. It is sold it's sold and made all over North America. It's made in, I mean, this is stuff I find out on my own. Nobody tells me, but it's, it's, it's available and made in Mexico. It's also made in uh, uh, Canada and sold. That's incredible. Just, just, you know, how, how you went from having a, a family bakery that was doing it tough to such a success story. But what I'd love you to share is, I mean, that story alone based on your second chance and making good on your second chance is incredible and really powerful, but it goes further than that. Um, and I'd love to bring in at this point um, the story around second chance employment. Can you tell us about that? I love that. Well, I love that. Uh, I never intended it. I never really thought about that. Uh, I've always been, and my family, is I'll give them credit. It's always believed in second chances. Um, they gave me one, maybe like a lot more than one. And uh, I I was able to, because of, because of understanding, you know, a lot of people who have suffered a lot and made a lot of mistakes and screwed up a lot, um, they get to a point where they are motivated to change and motivated to impress and to do good uh doesn't happen to everybody but there's a lot of people who you know really trying to make a difference and 
So that's essentially what it was. In the early days, we didn't have 300 employees. We ended up having 300 before I left in that spot. But uh, in the early days, we were just going, let's give this guy a chance because he's he seems like a good guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, and we get a good guy that somebody else won't hire. Yeah. Good girl, whatever. Somebody else will not hire this person because of their felony. But you know what? This is a great human resource. And so from strictly from a business perspective, it makes sense. So I did a lot. We did that at first and we made a lot of mistakes, but, uh, you know, we did, you always do in business. Yeah. So just just um, to frame this a little bit, I was I was really shocked at the statistics around um, the prison population in the US. It was something like one in five Americans has a criminal history. That's crazy. But but I guess the the, the key statistic is the number of um, criminals ex criminals coming out of the system who really struggle to get a chance, to get a second chance, um, to yeah. to get back on their feet. And it becomes a self-perpetuating mess, doesn't it? Because you don't give yeah. that chance to somebody, the more likelihood, you know, that, that gives more likelihood that they're going to find other ways to make money, um, go back to crime, rah, rah, rah. So you've got so, a huge so problem. Many- so many aspects to that, right? It's like, okay, substance abuse, uh, uh, you know, all the mental issues that people have. Uh, and then, you know, of course, relationships. I mean, people get out of prison, it's kind of like re- being reborn. Sometimes if you if you do a lot of time, if you have a little bit of time, maybe you don't really get disconnected that much, but... Um, the bottom line for me is that there's, you know, we don't, I, I'm not a, a socialist type of guy. You know what I mean? I'm a guy who, who wants to give people opportunities and that's what needs to be available for people. And, you know, I've seen so many people do so well with opportunities and that's, that's kind of, so I don't know if you know, but I, I don't know if you've ever heard of Constructing Hope. It's my, it's my pet charity, and I, okay. I'm sorry if I if I took this the wrong direction. No, you, no, no. You go <laughs> go down that direction, please. Okay, I love uh, things that change, help people change their lives, and, and so Constructing Hope. And the reason I got so excited about them when I first found out about them, they're Portland based, but is. Um, they teach people the trades and if you think back even though i was in actual construction uh i was in a way because i was i was uh i was making drawings i was you know drawing plans uh and it changed my life so constructing hope does that it it helps people most of them are you know guys coming out of prison ladies coming out of prison and they, they get a chance to go and actually learn a trade. I I swear to God, it's it makes a huge difference. That kind of thing. Giving giving a person a purpose, you know. Mm. 
you know, some people don't, some people are just a-holes, right? Some people are just yeah. crap. Some people are, it's going to be that way. Yeah. They won't, they won't uh, accept uh, help to get better because they're just not good people. Maybe they never will be. Okay. But when a person is ready, oh my God, it is so great. Not only to put them to work, not only to help their lives, but to help their families, the, the business they work for, the community. Uh, it's, it changes everything, that one person. Mm. So constructing hope is like something I've put money into, I put time into, um, and I want, it, I want it to grow much, much, much further than it is right now. And right there, I mean, you're talking about constructing hope which is a, a charity, um, and I don't know yet if you've, you know, um, found a way to connect that to business. But 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 I just want to take absolutely, you back to that. absolutely, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, well if you think about it, then, okay. I, I I don't want to. I know you're trying to go somewhere here, but uh, real quickly, it does totally connect to business because these people go out and make a better. You know, they make a better workforce. Um, and so it helps the the business, uh, the, the bigger, small uh, contractors uh, by getting really good, good people. And so it's a, it, it, plus it gives them, uh, on a certain level, it gives them some, uh, people appreciate that. And it, it makes a difference in the community. So I'll tell you where I was going with that. Uh, right back to, well no 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 um perfect I, I was going right back to the first question I put to you about love in business and you might not want to use the word love but what you were when you were talking about constructing hope just passion was coming through and you know mm. love passion clearly you care deeply about yeah this organization and you know how you're helping this organization and bloody hell that's love right you gotta love yeah. some things in your life uh, yeah i need to figure that out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i told you at the beginning love is like uh wow that's, that's a tough one but yeah yeah absolutely okay let's go let's go back to dave's killer bread because for people who don't know the story i want them to understand about um, you know where you went with the business with second chance employment, um, and I so it sounds like it was kind of not accidental but just a sort of casual um, approach to bringing people in. But you got to the point, didn't you, where a third of Dave's Killerbred employees were second chance employment, so people with a criminal background. That's right. Uh, we didn't we didn't set out going hey we're going to get one third of our employees as ex-felons it's like that's a really to me that's a dumb idea so what what i instead we were growing pretty fast and we didn't have a problem with ex-felons being working there because hey the guy who created this stuff was an ex-felon so how can you hate ex-felons if i'm you know an ex-felon so yeah so what it was is uh, it, it, when you hire 50 people within uh, a couple of months or a few months, 
you you're, you're looking at all these different what resources to hire people right it's it's challenging and but we weren't we did not set out no we're, we're not going to hire ex felons we're not going to do this well the the temporary services that were that we were dealing with, they started sending us uh, nothing but felons. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was hilarious, but it was it wasn't working for me because I'm like I'm gonna hire. We're gonna hire the best people if they happen to be felons. Great, yeah. But that was always our mindset, and then. Uh, one third of our employees, by the time people started noticing us in the uh, media and all that stuff, they were ex felons. So it wasn't. And there like you we, go. We, yeah. Well, well, you know, we're going to hire the best people, but yeah. because of you and your background mm -hmm. and what you knew was possible, you weren't closed to the idea Not of ex felons, no, whereas most businesses would be, right? Yeah, and I think that that's one th message that we always, always had. Uh, is like, are you a fool? You know, uh, just because you you went to prison doesn't mean you're a bad person. All right. Yeah. There's the in fact, uh, somebody's had bad a bad past might be more motivated than the, the other one. You know what mm. I mean? So you got you got to look at that. But it's also risky. It is, yeah, but everything's risky, and you know, you're always taking a risk when you you get somebody. You know how much time are you going to take to to vet someone? Um, but if you do a really good interview, you can find out a lot about people. Yeah, and you don't just let their history be the determinant of whether they get in or not. Absolutely, yeah. Same with it doesn't matter if they're a felon or otherwise, but uh, you still got to do that, right? Your story has created an incredibly successful business. I know you have now exited that business, um, but but just for our listeners as well, particularly the ones in Australia who may not know, um, Dave's Killer Bread sold to Freedom Foods for how much? It was to Flowers Foods for two hundred, yeah, two hundred seventy-five million. I think that was a real bargain. <laughs> Looking but, back, I should ask for more. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you may well have got that, but but just to achieve that, um, with with the journey you've been on, is something Maybe. you must. I, I, I mean. Not just the money, right? But but what you've created, the opportunity you've created for others. How do you? How does that make you feel? It feels great. I'm still doing it. That's something I will never stop doing is uh, passing on the the good that I I've uh, been experienced myself. You know. Yeah. Well, it 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 seems like your story has. A lot of twists and turns to run through yet, and well, I hope, um, hope not too many more, man. I like the straight ahead. <laughs> I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to just have the straight, straight and narrow kind coasting of coasting down the hill, right? <laughs> yeah. 
with the experience you've gained and 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 the lessons you've learned and you know I, I know you've only shared a, a small part of that here on this yeah. um, podcast today and I, I hope those um, those seeds that you've shared can help inspire some other businesses um, to travel the road less traveled I think for me the thing about your story and the Dave's Killer Bet Bread story that, that really resonates is it is such a human story, okay? It, 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 it's just human. It's, it's, not, it's not a fairy tale. It, is, um, it has the twists and the turns. It's got the hurrah moments, you know, but that's not the end of the story and, and that's, what makes it, that's what makes it human. You don't know what the ending is going to look like, but you do know that people are cheering on from the sidelines because I love all, we're, all yeah. we're doing is trying, right? We're just trying our mm -hmm. best. Yeah. Well, I think it's, uh, I, it, it's oversimplification, but, you know, the hero's journey. Uh, yeah. That's what we're all on, right, in a sense. And uh, there's like an arc of, like, you know, success and failure and all that stuff. And then we we come away with something um, meaningful and that's my life. Mm. It's your story. And, and people connect with stories because people connect with people, humans, and what people they have stories. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so what, do you think is next for you? Um, I'm already, you know, doing more than I want to. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned I, a book. You mentioned you might have to write a book. Yeah. Uh, sure. I have, you know, if, if I feel compelled, if I have, I need a ghostwriter. I can write fine, but I need a ghostwriter to pull it out of me. You know what I mean? Uh, if I find the right ghostwriter, I might do it. Uh, and then I do have somebody that wants, I have, I don't know if you ever heard of, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. That's no. uh, like in, in the U S it's always sunny in Philadelphia is probably, if you think about Seinfeld, I know, you know, Seinfeld, mm -hmm. Seinfeld was like the longest running show and all that kind of stuff but now it's it's always sunny in philadelphia and it's very funny but it's really dark anyway these guys are uh one of the guys there and his wife uh wants to or, and we've signed papers to uh to work on a movie so you know i don't know if it'll happen or not but i think a movie would be fantastic but so before we um, close this out, I'd just love to hear from you um, this experience, your life experience to now, looking at it through the business lens. How, what have you learnt that might help inspire other people who are starting their business journey or who are leading a company, um, a business now, like, 
what can you what can you share with them based on your own experience well uh my experience is you must be honest you must have you must be passionate you know you have you can't be don't take this as preaching because i'm certainly not a preacher but you got to believe in what you're doing uh, if you can enjoy the journey that's the best thing you can have if you can just enjoy the process of of creating business uh running a business developing a business and developing a brand that's the most beautiful thing in the world um you gotta have you gotta be humble because if you're humble enough uh you find the right people to help you you know it's like i i need somebody to be my a great accountant i've had i've had very good luck with with an accountant you know um i mean i can go and spend all my time learning to be an accountant but i'm not gonna it's not gonna happen you know so you gotta be humble enough to say i want this person that person that person uh and be able to listen to those people um okay dave before we sign off if people want to get in touch with you what's the best place for them to do that go to youtube um and check out dave doll on youtube d-a-h-l um, yeah yep and uh, you can go to facebook and check out dave doll uh there's a couple different pages there but the best way would probably be to go to davedoll360.com. Brilliant. And we'll we'll share those links in the show notes as well. Dave, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, for sharing your time, sharing um, some of your story. It's such a big story. And, you know, I hope we've been able to pull out um, at least some elements of it to give people in business, leaders, employees, and just people generally, inspiration on, you know, how, how, to, how to create a bit more meaning in their lives through their businesses. I think meaning is the most important word that you just said. Uh, it's meaning, it's passion, it's drive. You know, drive is, is overused, but I would say you gotta love what you do. You know, you just gotta love what you do. And I love what I do now, even if it's not as good as it was, the days killer bread days. Those days were I can't I don't know if I can ever repeat that. But I love what I do. And that's what matters. You said it, right? You said it at the end. Love. Woohoo! We got there. Dave, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the For Love and Money podcast. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the purpose movement, visit us at thecauseeffect.com.au. And remember, doing good is good for business. So if you're not doing good, then what are you doing?